But because there's no presence of the Fed, which is the the usual and the has been in the fast, the effective stabilizer of inflation, at least to keep it on some sort of agreed trend, two percent. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not been able to do anything with inflation since uh, 2013. Everyone, you know, just just you know, doesn't even remember that they're they're in a panic almost that inflation was one percent. They were trying to get it up to two percent, and they couldn't do anything for it. And certainly, right. the policy wasn't working. And I think that's the same case now uh, for inflation being un- unusually high. Uh, in other words, the the main stabilizer, the so-called main mandate of the Fed, is non-existent in terms of operational effectiveness. So therefore, the inflation is going to be defined by the fiscal status. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is George Robertson. You may already be familiar with his work. We had him on the show about three months ago, and he made some pretty bold calls about the S&P and where bonds would be. And as we sit today, just south of 5,000, which is what he was expecting, I thought it would be a great chance to get him back on the show and ask him what his outlook is for 2024. In today's conversation, we talked about what is moving stocks right now and what will be moving stocks in the future. Of course, George points to that unprecedented amount of fiscal stimulus to explain why stocks are going to keep rising. But furthermore, he also talks about how monetary policy is essentially non-existent. We actually go through one of his charts today to kind of break down this form of thinking. George is incredibly experienced and he has so much knowledge when it comes to markets and it really comes through when you talk to him. He has this, you know, George has a really unique way of thinking. He puts together some great charts and he's a definite follow on Twitter if you're not following him already. And of course, now you can also follow him on Substack. He is now writing as the Manitou Frontier on Substack. Of course, all the links will be below. Stay tuned, guys, because we're going to talk to George in a minute. Talk about what he thinks about the economy, the best sectors to invest in, fate of the US, and even some politics, which I know you all love to talk about. So, as always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. All right, welcome back to the show, George Robertson. Thanks for coming on again. Well, right, thanks for having me. It's a great compliment to be back, uh, to be invited back after uh, after our first round. Uh, and I, I apologize, it's sort of a gloomy, rainy day here in New York. So um, it looks like I'm sitting in a cave. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, obviously, we had to have you back. Uh, you made some very interesting calls back uh, when we last talked. That was about three months ago. And back then, we talked about the SPX having a date with that 5,000 uh, handle. We now sit just uh, south of that at about 4,900, so pretty good call. And I think the question that is on everyone's mind is, you know, now that we've pretty much almost reached 5,000, is uh, 6,000 next? Uh, I think so. Our, our, um, and, and obviously, 6,000 is uh, perhaps an overly dramatic number, three zeros in it, but it, it, it definitely... Uh, it honestly reflects what we think here. And what we're doing is just just following the very large blunt force trauma of the federal spend that initiated in uh, COVID times. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, the, the center of most people's attention for that, you know, for that quarter or two. But now it's all been forgotten. But this spend has been as uh, uh, in context is it's the match for World War Two or World War One. Uh, and it is the defining feature of this economy. Mm-hmm. So if we track the spend, and if then if we can figure out like what the Fed's doing or not doing, 
uh, we have a pretty good idea of of what the future, at least for this year, will will um, will stand because also the the political pressures are going to be pretty pretty wild, but I think pretty obvious what's going to happen in, in um, uh, going into the election is that nobody wants to upset the apple cart. Nobody wants to be right. uh, touch anything that might break us into a recession or, mm-hmm. the other hand, cause hyperinflation. So I think we're, we're sort of locked down to this fiscal story for at least another year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And of course, there, there is plenty of data to support that idea that you know during the elections years, you do tend to see uh, outperformance in markets, of course. Now, I wanted to also talk a little bit about the GDP numbers that just came out. So uh, if you could just run us through what your thoughts are. They did come in a lot hotter than expected, kind of cementing that uh, Goldilocks, that soft landing, which everyone seems to be expecting now, which you know makes me kind of a bit uh, afraid because, you know, obviously when everyone expects something, the opposite tends to happen in market. But what do you make of those GDP numbers? I I, I don't think the real GDP gives us much uh, information. Uh, that that means they don't dismiss the, the 26 trillion reality that it is. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to look at it in terms of nominal uh, GDP. Now, we had three-quarter uh, nominal GDP was uh, 8% odd. Uh, this one is uh, almost 5%. A fair drop in, um, in quarter. quarter mm-hmm. But it, it's still a very high number. And also, it might just be that the uh, the data is smoothing itself out from the excess of, of uh, the third quarter to the fourth quarter. Uh, we're, we're, what uh, my conclusion is, is that it's really not all that exciting, but it is massive. It, it's mm-hmm. a very large, consistent number, and it hasn't been new news for, gosh, you know, three years, four years now. Um, the inter- one, one subcategory is that of savings, and mm-hmm. savings is still... Uh, staying around four percent is fairly consistent. If savings co- goes up to seven percent, that means not um, not uh, you know an unusual amount of um, of disciplines coming to the U.S. It means that people are getting scared and, mm-hmm. and they're starting to save to get ready for the storm. Uh, and if savings drops down to two percent, look out. That means we're probably going to have another inflationary wave, and people uh, think that uh, times are perhaps better than they really are. So this four percent, four point two percent of savings rate, is uh, indicative to me that it's same old, same old. In other words, we've set a pattern, a trend um, that is going to be very hard to bust, and it is a trend of the U- U.S. economy, perhaps overheated, but it's overheated in a steady way, mm-hmm. uh, with no political interference likely in the foresight, and nothing from the Fed. There's there's absolutely no presence of the Fed. Uh, that can't be debated now. I'm sort of surprised people keep talking about the Fed. Um, and why shouldn't we? Well, okay, we've gone up toward 5,000. Well, why not to 6,000? I, I really see no reason why not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a hard habit to shake, uh, having having the Fed in mind, but uh, people might have to start, start looking elsewhere, definitely. And now we also got the PC numbers. You did talk briefly there about inflation and how to be affected by the savings rate. So I'd like you to speak a bit about that as well, because, I mean, we have seen inflation basically come down over the last few months. Um, but of course, you know, being that the GDP is coming in hot and that fiscal stimulus, of course, is ever present, would that mean that probably we're going to see inflation kind of st- steady around or probably maybe even uh, take a turn up? Well, 
because I can't, and, and I'm not a Fed basher, by the way. I think the Fed's the most noblest institution U.S. democracy's ever come up with. I really mean that. But because there's no presence of the Fed, which is the the usual and the has been in the past the effective stabilizer of inflation, at least to keep it on some sort of agreed trend, two percent. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not been able to do anything with inflation since uh, 2013. Everyone. You know, just just you know, doesn't even remember that they're they're in a panic almost that inflation was one percent. They were trying to get it up to two percent, and they couldn't do anything for it. it certainly, a lot of policy wasn't working. And I think that's the same case now uh, for inflation being un- unusually high. Uh, in other words, the the main stabilizer, the so-called main mandate of the Fed, is non-existent uh, in terms of operational effectiveness. So therefore, the inflation is going to be defined by the fiscal status, and that is the PCE, consumption, savings, all that stuff put together. And I think the best the best summation, and I and um, it's unfortunately all these theses and economics have to be attached to it. You know, I'm, this is a conservative, this is a hard ass, this is a liberal, and so on. Mm-hmm. But is uh, John Cochran's explanation that inflation is a tax on the um, on the economy, so as to assure repayment of debt, that's extraordinary, unusual at par, not at not at uh, you know not at the real par, but par. So uh, the inflation is operating now, so that if you let the U.S. government a hundred bucks for two years, in two years you should be able to see you will get a hundred bucks back. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's no inflation, uh, like deflation, well then they. they the, the credit capability or quality of the U.S. is is at risk. Uh, I don't think it'll ever happen, but it, it might indicate that you'll you'll that the U.S. will have a quasi default or problems or some for some seizure of your of your money, and you only get back ninety eight or ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a a uh, that's really just a storybook rendition to illustrate a point. But on the other hand. If inflation is uh, as where it is, um, it's it's greatly decreasing the um, the debt the, the the amount of deficit the U.S. has in real terms. Now I, I've I've all scoffed at real, but real is really important in understanding debt levels right. uh, in terms of what what exists. And mm-hmm. so we've already reduced the the debt level, the deficit in the United States by about twenty percent with the inflation to date. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it will stay intact for a bit until the U.S. grows so large that people don't need any of this assurance, um, or it'll be a bit of a trim still to make sure that you'll get par back for your for your uh, the money you lend the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think inflation's going to be it, it it's it's going to be unusually stable, and it's not going to be two percent. It's it's mm-hmm. probably going to be a three percent. Uh, if it starts to spike back up to six or eight percent, that's a big de- that, that will be a big deal. That means things are starting to come unscrewed a bit. But if it's three percent to four percent, I think that's uh, that's understandable given what's going on for the last three four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's as it seems to make a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people are kind of looking at that inflation level, thinking, well, you know, it might stabilize, but we might be getting used to that slightly three percent level. Now, I know you probably. Uh, tired about hammering on this, but you know, I, I'm sure that at this point, a, a couple of our viewers are at least thinking, well, what do, what does he mean? The Fed has 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 no power. So, um, tell us exactly um, 
just just a quick overview of uh, what exactly you mean when you when you say that the uh, the Fed really has no bearing right now. I could take it away from theory and abstract and just put it into dollars and cents if you'd like. Um, uh, if if you want, uh, I got a slide I can show. It looks like you gotta like trust me to to participate with screen sharing. Uh, yes. There you go. I think you you can you can share now. Okay. And you should have a a, a screen in front of you uh, mm -hmm. showing a a green line and then above that a blue line on the top. Like that, the, you might want to look at those as, as boundaries almost. Mm -hmm. But the green line is the actual dollars that we can figure out that the Fed is actually putting into the economy or taking out of the economy. Mm -hmm. And the way we get to this data is that, um, as we note, that Fed funds are basically coming to a norm. They're really not unusually high or low versus the NGDP uh, economy that they've seen. So the, the Fed funds are not a tightening, uh, mm -hmm. despite all the talk about this rise to 540 and and such. What is the tightening or the ease of the Fed is in their what they do to um, encourage or to punish the bank system to lend more money or lend less money uh, mm -hmm. through standards, through macroprudential, or, or just through edicts about, you know, stop lending. Mm -hmm. uh, and and also maybe the availability of, of various procedures like cash and, and uh, the, the bank loan uh, programs and all sorts of stuff. And this is the green line. So as COVID hit, uh, the Fed was was concerned, as it should be, and it, it maxed out at about a $500 billion, $750 billion um, input into the economy. This is what we call the monetary impulse. So is that that is taking account, for example, the, the QE and, like you said, those stuff like right. the bank term funding program and... We could have a, uh, and it might be frustrating to a lot of people, but we could have a program on itself on QE, QT, and uh, all that. It, it's QE always comes into the system with an offset that's a liability for the system. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how QE can go from like zero to a trillion. Um, and so for every asset that the Fed buys, they give you the money to buy the asset. It, mm -hmm. It's a wash. So QE right. is neutral. It's a neutral. It does have a duration impact. Uh, it, it does have a lot of swapping from long duration assets, treasuries to cash. But as mm -hmm. far as impulse, the money right. rubbing into the system and out of the system, it's a complete wash. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, I think people greatly just overestimate how much actual treasuries are being sold to the Fed. From like you know, you know, some guy is holding some treasury someplace. And he says, "Well, present it to a bank, and they'll present it to the Fed, and now it get cash." Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. There's a massive repo market of uh, reverse and repo, uh, where all the size of QT to the whole E trillion at first, and it was this way, comes out of the repo market. In other words, right. it's not even a sale of actual securities. Mm -hmm. It's the banking system are the agents that are allowed to participate in QE to back in the treasuries and they get cash. Uh, and it, that has no duration effect and it has, and it is monetary neutral. There's impact. Anyway, that, we can go on and on and on about this, but if we ignore QE and QT mm -hmm. and just look at like what the long 
And this comes from the H-8 report, which comes out every week by the Federal Reserve. Um, mm -hmm. By law, they have to post it. They have to post, like, what the hell are the banks doing? Congress wants this data. Um, so, it, But it now means that it's overlooked by most. Mm -hmm. But this is the actual loan book where it peaked at $750 um, billion. And then from then on, effectively, it tightened down to a maximum of, uh, what is this, about a trillion two, where mm -hmm. there's actually a drain out of the system by what the Fed was doing. And then it's come right back up, um, Silicon Valley, First Republic, uh, various other facilities, so that the net-net since COVID, which is here to today, is that the net-net is zero. Are well with with close to zero in terms of what the Fed's actually done. Um, the Fed is non-existent as far as figuring out impulses and money going in and out of the economy. There is no ease. There is no tightening. It is a posture. It, it is a, a propaganda, which I'm not going to, you know, it might be necessary, but it, it certainly has nothing to do with monetary economics. Mm -hmm. Now, this. This number is altered by us because the report of H8 um, has it, including PPP loans. This is a payroll protection program mm -hmm. that the small bank administration put out, um, which they had the system banks use, be the administrators of. And it, it peaked at about $1.2 up about here. So you'd have to add $1.2 to this number. And so you'd, you'd get right around here mm -hmm. if, you, if you were to include that. But that... PPP was from funded by the SBA, so it's actually in this number. So you can't have a double counting of it. It, it is a fiscal program. Um, it was not a, a, a bank system program or a Fed program. Mm -hmm. So with that adjustment, that even makes it uh, the, the Fed's contribution or, or tightening to the economy is, is even more banal. Like it, it's, just, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. So what is there? Um, because we have to explain this brown line. This is the the change in NGDP since COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it it came down, no doubt. There were shutdowns, and then it's just got off in a moonshot. So that the you know, I have to come up with a number uh, that is at least native growth of NGDP. I nobody's doing anything, but it it probably it's interesting that this ends at five trillion, which is the same level as where the fiscal input, which is this blue line comes in. Mm -hmm. And this fiscal impulse is um, is we lift this from the monetary uh, the monthly treasury statement from the Fed, uh, from the uh, US Treasury and the daily treasury statement and it's to the penny. It's it, by law it has to be perfectly accurate. Um, there is some little noise to it but in, in you know that can't be maintained for longer than a couple of weeks. So this is what the US government has done to the economy uh, since COVID. And it is an extraordinarily large number. It peaked at like five trillion, um, and you can still you can see that okay, it started to be you know dissipating and and return to the norm. But then we had the Chips Act, we had a couple other acts kick in, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, all which are ten year spends. They're they're starting to kick in, so this this height is being maintained, and we're now at uh, we're at a record high right now. We're about five trillion bucks. Has hit the economy since COVID. Mm -hmm. This is five trillion dollars. This is about you know it was anywhere from twenty four percent to eighteen percent of NGDP. We have never seen this type of spending since World War II. If right. you're not focused on this, 
you don't, you, it is impossible for you to understand what's going on in the U.S. economy. And I, I then extend that, it will make it impossible for you to understand what's going on in U.S. asset valuations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a, definitely an unprecedented amount of fiscal stimulus, especially at a time when, of course, you know, you have employment at almost record lows, right? The, to, to that extent, it is it is completely unprecedented. I'm curious, uh, what is the uh, what is the role here of you have here also excess savings, and you also outline the reverse repo. Well, the, these are um, for me these are subcategories. For others, they're the main event, mm-hmm. um, but they are subcategories because this red line, which is excess savings, is out of the blue line. Right. Uh, this, the blue line is the uh, federal unemployment insurance. Um, uh, the FUPC, which is sort of a strange acronym for the government to use, but anyway, the FUPC program to pay off uh, unemployment insurance, of which some people will make a joke saying, for the first time ever, the U.S. government paid you not to work. Like they said, okay, if you take this money, you must agree not to work, uh, which is cockamamie. But that's what they did. And so that has generated an excess savings, um, which we calculate by just taking the the actual savings uh, rate that's the norm for like the last decade, which is about, uh, it, it, it moves. It's from 9% to 11%. It's a bit of a barometer about uh, sentiment, uh, whether people are scared, whether they're happy. But it, it, it's we, we I think we end up using 10%. Um, and we just take the actual savings, like which we had reported today, uh, and we look at this, in terms of what the norm is, in terms of like the 10% savings rate. And we have an excess savings that was obvious uh, that we, we think peaked about uh, two and a quarter, two trillion. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is, um, this is is becoming like people without even talking to me are not thinking that I have anything to say. This is the number you've seen before. Other people are coming up with the same, same amount of number because it's just arithmetic. Mm-hmm. And then since... Um, uh, Dece of 21, it is being spent. And no doubt this has something to do with consumption. It, it has no doubt to know to what, why new homes are, haven't sewered, why why the economy is not matching what people's, the general popular expectation is. Mm-hmm. is because this is, this is a lot of money. Uh, it moves from, it's from here, but it's now completely at the day-to-day choice of Americans. I could do whatever the hell I want with it. Um, and then this, the dotted line is the reverse repo program from the Fed, which people are making a big note that that's an additional ad that the Fed is, you know, providing money. They're not. What they're doing is they're providing us um, a facility to money market funds, which they've just allowed to start to access, uh, you know, the Fed funds market, the the the, the reserves uh, that that are usual the economy, and I, it's yet to be proven out, but the fact that this peaks out at the same size of the um, excess savings mm-hmm. makes me think that these are one and the same, that this is just uh, uh, this amount of money, which perhaps is is going into, is being saved. It's in money market funds. And then also we have the PPP program, which is a lot of cash for, for small proprietorships. Uh, that's probably in here too. And it's interesting to me that they're, they're converging, mm-hmm. which, which, uh, I can say crudely that they're one and the same, but I, I think they're they're definitely from the blue line from from mm-hmm. this uh, fiscal excess. Uh, this also means that there's still a lot of vigor uh, left in the fiscal excess that we saw from COVID. It's not over. 
And while this doesn't seem large in terms of the last couple of years, uh, you know, a five hundred billion is still a massive amount of money. If you if you remember what some of the programs like George Bush put forward when we had 08 start, or what Obama did in '09, this is it. This is the height they got to. Um, right. That was an extraordinary emergency. So mm-hmm. uh, this shows how dramatically huge this time, how it got right after COVID, but it also shows there's still a lot of punch to it. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely, yeah, and it. It definitely changes when you look at it in, in relative terms because you know, a lot of people would look at this chart and I've seen different iterations of stuff like the reverse repo and excess savings and a lot of people, for example, pointing out to the idea that oh, excess savings are going to run out in 2024, 2025 and also the reverse repo facility is getting depleted and that's going to draw out liquidity from the system. What what would you say to that? Well, first, I have a smart-ass disdain for the use of the word liquidity as most mm-hmm. use it nowadays. Um, I, I don't think it exists. Right. There's money and there's money of zero duration and there's money of 10-year duration. There, there's money that's put into an equity which might have a seven-year duration. It's, it's different, there's different um, descriptors to money, but there's no such thing as liquidity. In other words, it, it's not like the, the Fed, and they never did this, except maybe for snowstorms in Chicago where the clearing checks got to be problematic. The Fed does not add liquidity. The mm-hmm. Fed does not take liquidity out. A Fed tightening is not a removal of liquidity, and a Fed ease is not putting liquidity in. It's I, I really don't understand why people talk like this. Um, well, I do understand, obviously, why they talk like this. But what it shows is a very naive understanding of the monetary system. Mm-hmm. There's cash. There's money. Right. There's this monster fiscal spend. There's this this inactive Fed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what's going on, and, and it's uh, it's all about money. Show me the money. <laughs> exactly. Well said. Now, I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, treasuries because in the last in our last interview, we also talked about the idea that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you talked about rates potentially going further up. Right? We were. People were very concerned back then about 5%. You mentioned that that was perhaps just the beginning. We could go to 6 maybe even 7%. Now, in the last few months, we have seen uh, rates kind of, they, they sort of peaked out of 5%. And, you know, to be fair, we we have seen kind of a, a negative correlation, right? We've seen the yields go down with the stock market kind of, kind of rallying. That's kind of changed a little bit in the last two weeks, kind of seen uh, those two rally together. But... Your expectation moving forward would be, of course, it would see higher yields as well as a high stock market, right? I I, I think there. Um, I think we're getting a re-education. I I, I quipped today on X that the only cycle that I can see is the knowledge cycle. Uh, in other words, all the stuff that we we got ourselves educated on that oops, I lost a lot of money, so that can't be true. All these things um, were were that were learned in the early 90s, for the most part, late 80s, is that U.S. deficits do not matter. Now, of course, they're there. And of course, they they matter in terms of the power and the capabilities and the just the, the brute strength of the United States. They can have these deficits. And then it, they matter in terms of who gets the spoils. Like if we spend an extra trillion, who, after the political process applied, gets that trillion? It's, that's large booty. Uh, so the deficits do matter only in a and they, they only matter in terms of political concerns. They do not matter in terms of credit. 
our weakness or, you know, we're going to get in, get it good. We're becoming Argentina, all that stuff. Um, the U.S. is in the the remarkable position that's only been existing for a few countries. I don't know, France, around Louis, this and that, where they can do whatever the hell they want with their funding. They can mm-hmm. they can double it now. And, and it'd be a, a big commotion. But as far as like the ability of the United States to operate, um, it really wouldn't be an issue uh, of, of, of great importance. In terms of like what the stock markets can do, it won't be an issue. Um, or vice versa. Uh, they can go draconian and just and, and do like a Germany routine and balance the budget. Um, what this all means is that is, is that um, rates in the United States, the risk-free rate, will always reflect the expectations for how the economy will change for the next for the duration that you're considering. So if I'm considering a 10-year um, risk-free rate, uh, then it will be it will reflect what the expectations are for the NGDP to uh, what how it's going to happen, what's going to happen for the next 10 years. And the proof of this is not U.S. Treasuries. Usually is, but it hasn't been for about two years. Uh, the proof of this is in in um, in U.S. mortgage rates, which because right. the policy, uh, they go out of their way and they basically make U.S. mortgage rates risk-free because they, they end up in mortgage-backed securities and they uh, and they become full faith and credit of the U.S. effectively. Mm-hmm. So the mortgage rate, that 30-year conventional mortgage rate, uh, is for now the defining point of where the risk-free rate for the 10-year is. And at eight, the U.S. Treasury rate. And in fact, the U.S. Treasury rate has two things to do, is that first it has to close in to where the risk-free rate actually is, as it has traded for, I don't know, 30 years until we got into QEs. Um, and then once it closes back and becomes useful again, by the way, it's a utility too, then that rate will reflect NGDP assumptions going forward, which I think have to be scrubbed of the Fed unless the Fed does some really large changes and radical reorganizations, which means that I think 6% in U.S. Treasury 10 years is a high likelihood. Mm-hmm. All right, so it seems by what you said, well, you kind of literally said the U.S. can pretty much uh, do whatever it wants. Uh, obviously, quite quite an optimistic view, if you ask me. But do you see any risk factors to both the U.S. and the U.S. economy moving forward? I mean, we 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 have had a lot of uh, stuff happening geopolitically. Of course, we have the elections this year. Um, I mean, are there any kind of risk factors that you're that you're wary about out there that could kind of uh, derail what's happening right now? Well, the risk factors of the U.S. are sort of in the land of H.G. Wells. Um, it it uh, Otherwise, there is no risk factors for the U.S. The, the U.S. is, I, I I don't share any sort of like bipolar, multipolar. The rude reality of the world is the U.S. has a empire, a, a dollar block, which mm-hmm. is a fact. Go ask uh, the new president of Argentina about this. Um, and you are at high risk if you ignore that reality, both in terms of understanding what the U.S. is going to do and can't do, but also in terms of your own country. If you start to think that France is the equivalent of of, um, of the U.S. or Spain or even the EU, uh, then you're going to run afoul. You're, you're going to have terrible trouble. Um, first, you're not going to be able to recognize what your own problems are because you can just blame America um, or... 
you're you're just going to get a, a, a sort of a jackass view of what's going on in your own country. There is no global, there is no global geopolitical situation for the U.S. But for that, which provides an a existentialist risk to the U.S. I mean, the U.S. will get really heavily clipped if not lose a war. Um, the 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 uh, propaganda machinations to get like this block or the non-aligned guys or say nasty things or if all of us say the same nasty thing about the U.S., we will have a showing of our power is bunk. It, it, it just, I, I wish it was true. I would like a better world, but it's not true. So the U.S. is just the U.S. Like if, if especially if you're sitting in the U.S. and that's sort of your job, are, are, then you could only look to the U.S. There is no global or geopolitical. Now, this is this is probably not the right thing to say to a character sitting in Spain, but um, and I, I don't even know if it's right. Uh, but I, you know, if, if I was a Parthenian, I, I hated Rome. Um, it, it's but it is reality. They, these nasty Romans are running around, and and they're probably going to run around, and they did run around for another eight hundred years. <laughs> so. Uh, that's where the U.S. is right now. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, the Dutch reached it somewhat, the the, mm-hmm. the French, and then the Brits, and there has been people, um, our, our countries that have reached this type of power, and now it's the U.S.'s turn. Uh, and so maybe it all falls apart in 25 years, maybe not for another 300 years, but for at least my lifetime, for where I can be useful, there is no problems with the U.S. Uh, now, having said that. You know the political thing is just getting weird, and and we could definitely have blood in the streets. We can have all sorts of ruckus. We can have mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of things that seem like the end of the world for the U.S., but they're not. But it still will be a very meaningful market noise. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what the heck Trump's going to come about. And it's not so much. I, I don't really have a Trump's policies were were, you know, and and. and I, I will not be accountable for anything, the foolishness and the and the, the ugliness of Trump, but Trump's economic policies were sound. You can mm-hmm. just see it in the data. You know, they cut the corporate tax, this and that. I, I put that to Peter Thiel, uh, the Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, Valley guys that snuck into the White House and basically mm-hmm. did all his policy. Um, but Trump now, I don't know what the hell he's going to be. And and also, it's it's not so much the the uh, Trump's bad, Trump's good, Biden's bad, Biden's good. It's that the U.S. is still locked in this strange 50-50 political mm-hmm. contest. It's it's like, uh, you know, going back to the, again, back to Rome. It's like the Optimates versus the Populares. They're all running around mm-hmm. trying to, you know, with no resolution in sight. Just that that, that could have an effect. And it, I think it's, it's going to be more of an effect of... Um, of how uh, how much utility organizations and institutions have uh, to execute policy or to prevent bad policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I and I don't know how to handicap that. To tell you the truth, um, I, I'm thinking of late that that contract law is the basis of U.S. assets. In the you know that that you you put this into the CME in the future is the year of the rules and it's backed by law and so on. So if the rule of law is challenged or becomes uh, despised by by Trump, you know, at, his, at, at, at the anti-Trump's worst nightmares, that could have a big ding on asset values, I think. But as I said, it's H.G. Will land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely a, 
kind of dystopian and this new age of information, how certainly those two, two groups, whether it's you know, left wing or right wing, they can have such such opposing views of, of reality. It's almost like you know people living in completely parallel worlds and they, it seems impossible for them to see eye to eye sometimes. Well, I, uh, I had an interesting experiment in that social media was that I, you know, I, I try to work hard and I worked away, blah, 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 all of my stuff. And then so what crashed into my feet was a very popular uh, mathematician uh, who had purposely put themselves into the, the latest TikTok flippancy, uh, Milo, and I said something bad about it. And then I drove on. And then I had the most notice that I've ever had. And I thought, this is great. What was it? Was it my views of PCE or this or that? No, it's the gang that, that just, just came crashing in. And they seem organized. It seems like so is a hell of a lot pain in the ass to block everybody and all that stuff. And it was a lesson talk about flipping things about areas you have nothing to do with. But I do think it reflected what you just said, that there's a sink now as tractor of, of digital media, which is not really dependent on truth or reality, but dependent upon what the best story is. Right. Uh, what is the tribal collective story? And then that actually becomes real, or you have to deal with it as if it were real for, I don't know when it, you know, for now, for the economy, it's it's been the Fed mem has been in this collective, and and we're still talking about it ever since uh, Jamie Dimon went out and said that we're going to get it and get it good uh, from Jan twenty two. Um, so there hasn't been enough work on that, and I wouldn't even know where to start. But like, uh, I, I call it the Mar based on Marshall McLuhan, like ancient seventies. So showing how old I am, the media is the message. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a very powerful McLuhan effect that's overshadowing everything, uh, and that includes economics and market analysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely uh, resonates. That I was re recently reading uh, Morgan Housel's book, uh, Same as Ever. One of the one of the chapters, I believe, is or one of the points he makes is uh, the best story wins. At the end of the day, right? Doesn't come down so much to truth, but just the the best narrative. That had to be where Elon Musk got the story, like when Bergosian was wandering around Russia, God knows what he was up to. Uh, Elon Musk came over and he said, I thought it was brilliant. I guess the guy's brilliant. He said, um, the truth of what Bergosian is up to is what will make the best movie plot. Right. <laughs> and you know what? That was the truth. That is pretty well exactly what happened. Absolutely. They're, they're already doing the the casting on in Hollywood to, to see who gets the play. Yeah, so. So what use are we unless we join the tribe? Huh? <laughs> so I just wanted to wrap up because you have mentioned that comparison of you know, the U.S. with like the Dutch Empire, the Roman Empire. Of course, those are all empires that ended. You know, obviously, for anyone who's like familiar with Ray Dalio's work, he would argue that you know the U.S. is within that kind of ending, coming to an end of that of that empire. Right? I guess it's a hard question, but what what needs to flip right for well, basically, basically this this to end, right? I mean, if the U.S. is all powerful now, I mean, what what has to flip right there so so that it uh it no longer holds that position? Well, now I don't know what the hell this does to figure out what the S and P is going to do next week, but uh, it's fun to talk about, and it's probably very very important. Mm -hmm. um, all the things which I said, which you you repeated, um, they all said that they're going to end next week. And they all went on for about another hundred years, mm -hmm. um, and uh, people were assured on it. 
so I think we got at least another hundred years if fast mm-hmm. as any sort of um, indication. And then all those empires ended through an existentialist calamity, like uh, the I forget I forget what that naval battle was where the Brits took out the Dutch, um, and the French lost to the Brits, and the Spaniards got creamed by the Brits, and then the Brits finally got creamed by World War One, and it, you know it, mm-hmm. it, it's existentialist uh, risk, and and I. I think that that's interesting. Another point is that uh, no economists, market pundits, analysis, wait, you like Trump, I don't like Trump, what's going to happen in North Carolina primaries, anybody is thinking of war. Right. No one's, everyone thinks that's off the shelf. It's with a lot of weird guys in Washington. That's their job. If we give them 5% of, their bud, of our budget to them, just so we don't have to think about it. Our army's no volunteer. We don't want to think about it. It's it's like the, the the rude gas bag that enters a party and just ruins it for everybody. We don't even want to look at it. But if there's one thing that is certain is that all bonds, markets, especially uh, a nation national debt, is all defined by war. Like right. war is it? Uh, so I, I where where does that go? I don't know. But but I I do think it means that the the only risk to the U.S. operating as it is now and producing growth on and on and on is an existentialist risk to to the United States, and I, I don't I don't see one in any way. I I pay a shitload of my taxes, so I don't have to talk about it. I guess that's where we are right now. Mm. Interesting. I guess I guess the uh, conclusion there is you know keep your money in stocks until the uh, until a nuclear bomb gets dropped somewhere and well well we but by that time it probably won't be that important i i don't know if i can come up with the timing for that or or you know scale uh there's better than me but going back to like okay let's let's forget the highfalutin talk or the, or the mystery talk or whatever you want to call it um the one thing that also is going on with the u.s right now is that um uh at times which are given up this time is defining what's going to happen in the future uh, risky assets, stocks, S&P 500, have had a almost a one correlation, positive correlation to uh, to debt, uh, to U.S. Treasuries. Um, this is not so much unsustainable. It's not real. Like, if you think about how the United States can work as an economy, assets, liabilities, the government, all this stuff, it can't work if that is a one correlation. It can't work if it's a positive correlation that's sustained. So it is so necessary, and it will occur that risky assets will go to a negative correlation to risk-free assets. This is the only way the United States can work, the way that a metro, you know, metro, met life can work, that calipers can work, and savings can be deployed, and, and uh, the, mm-hmm. the teens with the, you know, trying to do savings out into 10 years or what have you. Right. Everything is resting on a negative correlation between risky and risk-free, such as predictive, I think. So you should sit down and think, okay, what is the market going to do to reestablish that negative correlation? Um, and I think that means equity up, bonds go down. Um, and then once that is sustained at a negative correlation for a while, that's probably indicative that we're about to get to an event in our market top mm-hmm. for equity. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's very interesting. And of course, that, that was going to be one of my questions. And you speak, speak about that negative correlation with the risky assets, of course. Something like Bitcoin, of course, which has been profiting, uh, you know, so much in in the recent months, would uh, perhaps take a take a turn to the worst. 
Well, I, 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 I'm not, uh, uh, be, everything I've said, I, I think it has been very much focused on the state, mm -hmm. like what the state is, what the U.S. is, you know, that, that's how I do everything. So I think anything that's a challenge to the state, which is the essence of DeFi, cannot exist with the state. In other words, for DeFi to exist, for Bitcoin to exist, it's the same as thinking that you're going to have a perpetual positive correlation between risky and riskless assets. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I think uh, crypto and Bitcoin is crypto, no matter what people say otherwise, um, because it's outside the orb of the state. The state cannot allow its usage. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, I, I know that's not popular dogma right now. <laughs> Uh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think I think that's a good point. The the other question is whether they can stop it or maybe how they can try and integrate it. I mean, they have accepted the uh, the Bitcoin ETFs for the for the time being. So um, we'll we'll have to see how they're trying to uh, to play ball because it's a definitely interesting topic. But just to wrap up, um, I'd like to know because obviously we talked a lot about stocks in general and. Uh, last time you did mention a couple of stocks. I believe you mentioned some bank stocks that you were looking at. So, just to wrap up, any interesting uh, sectors or even particular yeah, entities you're looking at for 2024? I'm really boring in that regard. I've um, I've stayed with J.P. Morgan, mm -hmm. which has saved my ass, and it's doing very well. And I, I think it's going to double. Um, I can't figure out an effective way, given my circumstances, to short the U.S. Treasury ten-year. Back my view. I keep running into margin calls, and it's very hard to have any size that counts, mm -hmm. uh, given the instrumentality available to me. But that's what I would do if I could. And then I will come clean. BA is destroying me. I I yeah. think it's it's completely unfair to think that I should have expected that sides of the plane fall out, and they seem to be out of a road to like how the fuck can we go into bankruptcy? You know, oh, the hell. first time it, it's the damnedest thing. Because this is like the most, well, anyway, I got a spiel, which is, I'm sure, obvious to everyone. But that has not been fun. Um, so at a very nice, um, you know, 20% plus return uh, for 23, and year to date now, because of Boeing, and I think the CEO and CFO and the chief engineers should all be fired for fault and not even get the benefits that a line guy gets when they, when they uh, fire them. That's my. That's what I think. That's how I sure. am. Uh, is responsible for seventy percent of that down fifty percent year to date that I now have with twenty twenty four. I I can't see a replacement for Boeing. I can't I can't right. understand how the U.S. You know. So I think it's going to be taken over. I, I think it's going to go into reorg. I think it's going to be, which might not be a good time for in the next quarter or so. But sooner or later, I think I think Boeing is still going to be about three to five times where it is now. Um, but I am paying the price for that call. All right. So but time to double down on Boeing then for anyone else interested now. <laughs> I, I tell you, for me, for you to say that, or, does, or for me to even, re no, because that that's like I, that's like the sniffer from the SEC will be all over that quick time. No, no. <laughs> This is this is entertainment talk about a financial dilemma that I personally am enjoying right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, on that on that happy note, I think uh, I think we can leave it at that. George, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure having you on again. 
Uh, please let everyone know where they can find you and your work on the internet. Yeah. Uh, the Monetary Frontier is our Substack. Uh, I have a partner, RP Goyle underscore at RP Goyle underscore on X. And my X is uh, Bickering Brattle uh, at Bickering Brattle. Uh, you can probably find me if you look for George Robertson. Absolutely. And of course, all the links will be below on the description. Great. Once again, George, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm, again, really looking forward to the next one. Okay. Greatly complimented. Uh, look forward to getting the link. And uh, I hope you'll allow me to post it on our, our, our Substack uh, once received. Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.